Hi, this is David Flowers, Senior Pastor at Grantham Church, an intergenerational convergent third-way congregation with the Brethren in Christ U.S. and located in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast and for following the sermons that I and many others preach at Grantham. This is a free podcast and it'll always be that way, but if you'd like to give and help further the work we're doing for the kingdom, we'd greatly appreciate it. If you want to do that, you can do that by going to granthamchurch.org and clicking on the giving tab. Whether you're a member of our church or you're listening as a parishioner, it's our greatest desire that you would encounter Jesus and be changed by the good news wherever you are. Anyway, God bless you, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Some of you have probably heard about how that category of nuns is increasing today. And what I mean by that is when people are asked about their religious affiliation, more and more are checking that box that says none. But that doesn't necessarily mean those same people are becoming atheists. In fact, there's also at the same time a rise in people identifying themselves as spiritual but not religious. And I know you guys have talked about some of this before. Um, But many people in this category are looking for some sort of spiritual experience or some kind of connection with something greater than themselves. That may be a higher power or it may be something else. Um, But maybe you know someone who's looking for a spiritual experience, but not necessarily looking for that in church. Someone might be looking for that through, you know, hiking or experiencing nature, or maybe through art or music um, or yoga or something like that. Uh, But many people are searching for some kind of spiritual experience or, or a divine encounter, if you will. And for those of us here, I might say, some of you might say along with me, well, I'm both spiritual and religious, but I would suggest that we're here also looking for some sort of divine encounter, right? We're we're looking for some kind of connection with God this morning. We want to meet with God. So this story that we're reflecting on today, this one that you just heard Ron read for us, is a story of divine encounter. Um, It's a story of someone whose life was radically changed by a meeting with God. So in Exodus 3, and and if you do have your Bible or Bible app, I'd encourage you just to keep it before you because you can help follow along with the story here. But um, in this story, Moses has an encounter with God. And what we're going to see through this story is, first of all, how can we have a divine encounter? If that's something we're looking for, how do we get it? Um, And then secondly, we'll see in a divine encounter, what does God reveal to us? What do we learn about God? And then finally, we'll see uh, what the results of a divine encounter is, are. So first of all, how do we experience a divine encounter? Well, I think it's helpful for us first to consider a little bit of background to this story before we dive into this particular passage. So the people of Israel, that's Abraham's descendants, They had been in Egypt for about 400 years, and they became enslaved under an oppressive king, the Pharaoh. Um, And the Pharaoh had become intimidated by how the Israelites were multiplying and growing. And he actually came to this point of saying to kill all the Hebrew male children. So when Moses was born, um, his mom, in order to save his life, put him in a basket in the Nile River, and Pharaoh's daughter actually found him, took him in as as her own, and he was raised in the Egyptian court. 
And as he got older, Moses noticed the burdens of his people, the Israelites, and he sought to give aid to them, but that put him in this place of being threatened by Pharaoh. So he fled Egypt, and he went to the land of Midian, which was east of Egypt. And while in Midian, he ended up um, marrying one of the daughters of Jethro, the Midianite priest, and he became the shepherd of his father-in-law's flock. So this story picks up with Moses out with his flock in the desert, in the wilderness. And he went over to see this, this strange sight, this bush that was burning but wasn't being consumed. Now in Hebrew, that word for went over, some translations say he turned aside. Um, that has this idea of, of going off his path. He, he, went, he took a different direction than he was initially heading. I've heard it referred to or described as a detour. He kind of takes a detour to go look at this bush. But think for a minute about Moses' life. He'd grown up in the Egyptian court, and now here he is in the middle of nowhere with a bunch of sheep. That's probably not how he imagined that his life would turn out. So his life is kind of on a detour as well. So this clues us in a little bit to how we can have an encounter with God. It usually happens when our life is in a detour. Think about when you, ha when you have to take a detour on the road or, or just your normal kind of route to work or home, something you're really familiar with. You're driving along, you can get to your destination, pull into your driveway, and not even really realize what you saw, right? You, you don't really think about, oh yeah, that's the White House I always see, or the gas station, or the cornfield, or whatever. You just kind of end up there. But, but if you're forced to go on a detour, you notice things. You're kind of thinking, all right, what road do I need to get back on, to, to get back on my route? Or, oh, I never really noticed that building over there before. Or you're a bit more attentive to your surroundings and what's going on. And this is true in life, too. You know, when we're going through life and things are going kind of as we expect or as we want them to, there's not really anything to, to pull us away or, or from, our, from kind of our direction or our plans. But when something unexpected happens, or when we're in a crisis, or when we're maybe unhappy about how life is going, that's an opportunity for us to be more attuned to what God might have for us. So for Moses, this burning bush jolted him out of his reality. And in life, something unexpected can challenge our reality of how life should be or who God is. And that's an opportunity for us to meet with God. So oftentimes, God will use detours in our lives to engage with us. So then the question becomes, will we turn aside? Will we go with him in that? Will we explore what God is saying and doing? Or will we just kind of put our heads down and, and stubbornly say, no, 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 I need to get back on track. I need to go back on the path that I was headed. Or maybe we'll find something to kind of distract us while we're on that detour. So the way a divine encounter might begin is by following the detour, being aware of those things in our lives that don't fit exactly with the, the expectation or reality of how we think life should go or who God is. And so if that's how we can come upon a divine encounter, then what does God reveal to us when we have a divine encounter? Do we want to take that detour? Do we want to pay attention to the things that God puts in our lives to take us off our intended track? 
Well, let's consider what happens when Moses turns aside. He goes off to see what this strange sight is, the, bur- the burning bush. And it's, it's God. God shows up as a fire. And this isn't the only time in Scripture that we see God showing up as a fire. He, he uh, is a pillar of fire leading his people through the wilderness. He shows up in Exodus 19 on Mount Sinai as fire. Uh, God shows up, his presence is indicated by fire in the tabernacle. Uh, the prophet Isaiah talks about God as a consuming fire. We see in the New Testament God coming as tongues and flames of fire at Pentecost. So what does this tell us about God, the fact that he comes as fire? Well, fire is dangerous, right? It's not, it's not something we play around with. I mean, think about those, the wildfires that are happening right now in, um, the, in the North American West. You know, when the fire hits those trees, they don't have much power against the fire. The trees are changed by the fire. A fire affects its surroundings. So God is telling Moses basically that. He says, don't come any closer. You're standing in a holy place. God's telling Moses he's entered a sacred space. So he's basically saying, if you stay here, you will be changed. You're going to have to surrender to my will. He's saying, I am a holy God. I don't have tolerance for evil, and when I see it, I have to enact judgment. I'm a God who is burning with holiness. You know, a lot of people have this view of God, especially from reading the Old Testament, that God is is this holy God to be feared. And in this passage, Moses is afraid. But people can view God as powerful and transcendent, kind of intimidating and maybe watching over the world, ready to cast down his thunderbolts of judgment at a moment's notice. And you know, if we stopped here in the passage, that's the impression we'd be left with. But it doesn't stop there. God goes on to say to Moses in verse 7, I have seen the misery of my people. I have heard their cries. I'm concerned about their suffering, and I have come down to rescue them. God doesn't just stay distant, but he comes down. When we encounter God, not only do we encounter his holiness, but we encounter his love, his compassion, his concern for his people. Not only is God transcendent and powerful, but he sees He's imminent. He's with us. He enters into our world. Someone can burn with anger, right? Um, but we, so we see God here burning with, with a righteous anger, a holiness. But he's also burning with love and desire, a passionate love toward his people. He says he knows their affliction and he wants to rescue them. So what does God reveal to us in a divine encounter? Well, we see both God's holiness and power, but also his love and his presence. And we're going to expand more on presence in just a minute. But when we have this kind of encounter, we can't stay the same. When we truly experience this paradox of God's holiness and love, it changes us. So what's the result of this kind of divine encounter? 
Well, after God says that he's heard the cries of his people and he's seen their oppression, he says to Moses, now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people out of slavery in Egypt and bring them to the promised land. Moses is kind of like, wait, what you just said that you heard the cries and you came down to rescue the people, who am I? Who am I to go to Pharaoh and do this? Moses kind of has this identity crisis. And maybe we'd expect God here to to kind of bolster Moses' self-esteem and say, you know, actually, Moses, you're the perfect person for the job. You know, you grew up in the Egyptian court. You've seen and experienced the burdens of your people. Um, For years, you've been protecting and and providing for your flock. But God doesn't doesn't do that. He actually doesn't really directly answer Moses' question about who am I to go to Pharaoh. God says, I will be with you. Moses didn't need more self-confidence. He needed assurance of God's presence. Imagine a child who's afraid of the dark, and they just call for their mommy and daddy to come and sit with them. They just want their presence, and that gives them so much more peace and confidence. But Moses still isn't, kinda, isn't sure about this. He says, okay, well, well, what if they ask me what your name is? And in that culture, name was very significant because someone's name expressed their nature. And so God tells him his name. He reveals his nature to Moses. He says, I am who I am. I am has sent you. The Lord has sent you. This word for the Lord in Hebrew is Yahweh. It's from the verb meaning to be. So basically God is saying, I exist. There's never been a time I haven't exist. There never will be a time I won't exist. I am. He's essentially saying, I define myself. I'm not who you want me to be. I am who I am. When we have an encounter with God, he reveals himself to us as he is, not as we define him or as we want him to be. You know, I think sometimes when when we're looking for a spiritual experience or a divine encounter, we kind of want to fit God into the framework of our own, of our life, right? You know, maybe you're in a detour right now that looks like financial hardship. And you, you might say to God, God, if you would just, you know, give me, give me the money or give me this certain job, then everything will be okay. Or maybe your detour is, is sickness or challenges with health. And, and you say, God, if you would just heal me, then, then things would be okay. Or, you know, maybe you have a a relational struggle, and that's what your detour is right now. And you say, God, if you would just help them to see kind of the the wrong of their ways, then our our relationship could be restored. So, and, and not to say we shouldn't be praying in the midst of these situations and seeking God's help, but what is our heart? What's our motive in that? Are we wanting God to kind of fit into our desires and plans? Or are we willing to be changed by him? Are we trying to define God and what he should do? Or are we willing to be defined by him and have him guide us in what we should do? Usually in today's society in the West, people have two different views of God. The one we kind of referred to already, that that distant, transcendent God who either, either doesn't intervene, doesn't really care about creation, or if he does, it's with those thunderbolts of judgment. 
Or people can have this view of God that he's so kind and loving and just accepting of everyone, there's no judgment at all. We want a God who kind of fits into our construct, a God, a God who uh, will mold to the way we want him to be. But God is saying, I am who I am. You can't put me in a box. If you want to be in relationship with God, we have to let him be who he is. And who he is is someone who will change us. He's a God who's both loving and just. A God who's both holy and to be feared, yet present with us. A God who is above all things, yet among his creation. If we jump forward about 1,500 years to the New Testament, Jesus comes on the scene. And there's this conversation you can read about in John chapter 8, where there's some Jews who are trying to figure out who, who Jesus is. And uh, Jesus is saying, you know, he was sent to earth by God to do the will of God. And the Jews say, no, you can't really be any better than our father Abraham who died. And Jesus responds to them, he says, before Abraham was, I am. Now the Jews knew their scriptures. They knew this story in Exodus of God who reveals himself as I am. And so it, immediately at this moment, the Jews want to kill Jesus because he was claiming to be the eternal God. He wasn't just saying that he was born before Abraham was, but he was saying there was never a time when he didn't exist. Jesus was saying to them that he is God. He's the only thing that really matters. What they really needed was Jesus. Jesus was the one all things on earth depend on. He's the one who brought all things into existence. He's the one who must enact judgment on the evil in the world, but he's also the one that loves so deeply that he will take on that judgment. You see, it's Jesus Christ who fully reveals to us God's holiness and love. Because it's Jesus who says, the things that you've done wrong do have to be paid for, but I will pay for them. Jesus doesn't just forgive our sins. He takes on the punishment that we deserve for them. Tim Keller says it this way, Jesus is so holy he had to die, but so loving he was glad to die. And this is absolutely life-changing. When we realize the sin and evil in our own lives that must be dealt with by a holy God, that could quickly send us into despair. But when we realize that God comes down in Christ, he takes on the penalty for our sin, he enters into that judgment on our behalf, that changes us. We can't be indifferent to that. Jesus says, when you're in a detour, I am with you and I will give you what you need. I am the source of true life. I am the true vine. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. If we let God show us who he is in Christ, then that will change us. So how do we know? How do we know then if we've had a, a true divine encounter? Well, God will send us out. 
You know, we saw that God says to Moses, I am sending you to Pharaoh. Tell them I am has sent you. God invites Moses into his rescue plan. You know, it's interesting that despite the fact that Moses was afraid and he he recognized that he was standing on holy ground, he didn't seem to be so afraid to complain about the call that God was giving to him. You know, he says, well, who am I to to go to Pharaoh? And he says, okay, well, well, tell me your name. And later in chapter four, um, he says, well, what if they don't believe me? And and he says to God, well, I'm not very eloquent. So he's, he's kind of whiny for someone who's in such a holy, sacred space. So he must have somehow recognized the love and presence of God. But God pursues this relationship with Moses. Even in his holiness, God enters into relationship, and he says, you know, it doesn't really matter who you are. It matters who I am. I will be with you, and I am sending you to rescue my people from slavery. And this is God's MO. He always does this. He gives people an experience of himself. He enters into relationship, and then he sends people out. So if you think about Israel, or excuse me, Abraham, He says, you know, I want to make you a blessing to all people. And then he says, now leave your land, your people, and go. Isaiah, the prophet, he has this vision of God and who takes this coal and cleanses his lips. He forgives his sin. And then God tells him to go and prophesy, to speak on God's behalf to a people who are never going to listen to him. Jesus, over and over again, is calling people to himself, He's healing them, he's meeting their needs, and then he sends them out. Jesus gives us the great commission in Matthew 28 to go and make disciples. But don't forget, it says, I am with you always. You don't go based on your own authority, you go based on my authority. God invites us to be part of his master plan of redemption and restoration of the world. And you know, this is probably gonna look different for us than it did for Moses. You know, maybe you're a stay-at-home parent or a grandparent who's helping to care for your grandchildren. And you have the opportunity every day to pour into those kids, to help them see the awe and holiness of God, yet his love and care. And you do that in a lot of little ways throughout the day, but that's part of God's rescue plan. That's part of showing Jesus to those kids and helping them to see his need for them, yet his love for them, their need for him. Maybe you work in a a public sector and you have the opportunity to identify people who are marginalized or oppressed in some way. And maybe you have the power to enact change or enact policy or programs that might help meet needs or help care for that group. That's part of God's work, to bring his kingdom on earth. Maybe you work in a setting where you've noticed the culture with your coworkers is one of kind of talking behind each other's back or uh, pursuing success at the expense of others. And there's just this negativity in in the culture at work. But you have an opportunity to 
breathe life, breathe, uh, you know, hope into that culture to, to be a voice of encouragement and building one another up. And maybe you're even in a position of power where you could surrender some of your success to help create opportunity for someone else. That's an example of God's plan of redemption at li- uh, coming to life in our daily lives. Maybe you're part of a community service organization that helps to meet needs or help helps businesses to thrive, or maybe this week you're going to be volunteering with VBS and you have a chance to show the love of Christ to those kids. So these are all ways that we as Christians have the opportunity to reveal Christ to others. Because that's what happens when we have a divine encounter. God sends us out to then help reveal him to others. As we experience the transformation of Christ in our own lives, we help reveal God to others. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Now you go and be the light. God makes us kind of little burning bushes all over the world to help draw people into their own divine encounters. So what does this look like for you right now? Are you in a detour? Maybe is there something in your life that's not exactly fitting into your expectation of of who God is or how you thought life should be? If that's the case for you, I would encourage you to be attentive. Be attentive to the burning bush. How is God wanting to reveal himself to you in this time? How are you seeing the power of God's holiness and purity and transcendence, but also the beauty of his love and compassion and presence? You know, I think Grantham Church is in a detour right now. We're coming out of a pandemic. There have been some staff challenges and transition. There's been budgetary challenges. There's been uncertainty about volunteers. You know, we're probably not in the place we expected we'd be two years ago, five years ago, 10, 20 years ago. But God meets us in the detour. God comes down and he wants to give us an encounter with him. He wants to reveal to us again his holiness, you know, our need for him, the ways that maybe we've gone wrong but yet also his love and presence, his grace to meet us in our need. He wants to remind us of our call to make disciples. He wants to renew our mission to reveal him and to make his name great in the world. So will we turn aside? Will we let him shape us and send us? Are we willing to be part of his great rescue plan? Church, let's remember what God has done for us in Christ, how his holiness and love are perfectly brought together on the cross. Let's allow that to change us and motivate us to serve God's purposes on earth. And you know, we're not going to do that perfectly. Just like Moses, I'm sure we'll have times where we get whiny or we talk back to God. But in his patience, God assures us of his presence, and God is working to rescue his people and bring them back to himself, and we get to be part of that if we're willing. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this invitation 
for your loving heart to be in relationship with us and to invite us into the work you're doing. Thank you, God, that in those times where things, life isn't going the way we expect or the way we want or we're in crisis or we're trying to figure out who you are, you meet us in that. Help us to see you, help us to notice you, and help us to hear from you. How are you revealing yourself to us? What are you showing us about who you are? God, as you do that, and as, as we as a church respond to how you're doing that now, I pray that we would be responsive, we would be willing to go, we would be obedient, and we would go in your power, with your presence in us, not in our own power, but knowing that this is your heart and your plan to bring glory to God. So we do that with with of love and service to you, knowing that through Christ you have so incredibly loved and served us. So we offer our lives to you in Jesus' name. Amen.